scripture reading this morning is found in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, and we'll be reading Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And this psalm is really, you could say, broken up into two parts. The first part concerning how the creation glorifies God, and the second concerning how the Word of God glorifies Him. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. There is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. On the basis of that word of God and of all of Scripture, that we are instructed in Lord's Day 6 concerning that word itself. In the last question and answer of that Lord's Day, especially. But let's read now all of Lord's Day 6, starting with question 16. Why must he that is, the mediator, be very man and also perfectly righteous. Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature with which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin, and one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Why must he in one person be also very God? that he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath 
and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Who then is that mediator who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Whence knowest thou this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise and afterwards published by the patriarchs and prophets and represented by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law and lastly has fulfilled it by his only begotten Son. Lord's Day 6, beloved, is really a continuation of Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. These two Lord's Days are very closely connected and closely related to each other. In Lord's Day 5, we considered that the way of salvation for us requires satisfaction, the satisfaction of the wrath of God for our sins, a payment made for sin and a payment which, with which God, the triune God, is fully satisfied. And Lord's Day 5 also demonstrated to us that we ourselves cannot make this satisfaction, that we need a mediator who is God and who is man and who is righteous. And Lord's Day 6 now goes into more detail about that and specifically points out why he must be God and why he must be a man and why he must be righteous, that is, without sin. And it's all of that that leads to this last question of Lord's Day 6, whence knowest thou this? How did you find out? Where did you find out from that this is the kind of mediator that you need? And even implied in that question is, where did we find out all about our sin? Which leads up to the question of needing a mediator. And that question, therefore, question 19, you could say, covers everything we have considered thus far in the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's my purpose this morning, beloved, that we look at this Lord's Day by focusing especially on that last question and answer of the Lord's Day, which will give us an opportunity this morning to look at especially three things the gospel, the Bible, and the preaching. And as we do that, may we confess what David did concerning those three things in Psalm 19, verse 10. More to be desired are they, that is, as we apply that now this morning to what we consider in Lord's Day 6, more to be desired are the gospel, 
the Bible and the preaching, then gold, yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey from the honeycomb. Consider then together the holy gospel. And we'll notice, first of all, what that gospel is. Secondly, where it is recorded. And finally, how it is revealed. Whence knowest thou all this? And the answer given is, from the Holy Gospel. And that might strike us as being somewhat of an unusual answer, or at least a surprising answer to us. The Heidelberg Catechism does not say, as we might expect, and as we perhaps ourselves might say, if someone asks us, where did you find out about Christ? Where did you find out about the mediator? Where did you even find out about sin and your need of a mediator who is God and man and righteous? We might answer from the Bible. The Catechism doesn't do that. The Bible says we find this out from the gospel. And that's because gospel and Bible are not exactly the same thing. There is a difference. They are not one and the same. And that's a good thing. And you can understand that that is a good thing and was a good thing, first of all, for the Old Testament saints and people of God. If the Bible and the gospel were one and the same thing, then the Old Testament saints, because they had no Bible yet, would not have had the gospel. But the fact is, they did have the gospel. And that gospel was given to them, and that gospel was possessed by them as soon as they fell into sin. And God came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and God gave them the mother promise of Genesis 3.15, of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. The gospel existed from the beginning, even before the Bible existed. good for us to realize a few things about that, a few things about the Bible. The Old Testament saints did not have the Bible. And even when they did have it, they only had part of it. But the early saints in the Old Testament did not have a Bible until some 2,000 years of Time had passed, and Moses was used by God to write the first five books of the Bible. And then it was another, approximately another 2,000 years that 
brings us to the time of being beyond Christ and the apostles, that the whole of Scripture was completed, the Old Testament and the New. And even then, 4,000 years of history having elapsed before the Bible was completed, was written, even then it was another 1,500 years approximately before the invention of the printing press so that the Bible could be more readily available to anyone and everyone. So over 5,000 years of history, you could say, before the Bible was available readily and easily to everyone. But in spite of that, through all of those years, although many did not have the Bible, they had the gospel. As the Catechism itself points out, the gospel was already there in paradise. And then the gospel was proclaimed through the patriarchs and through the prophets. And then the gospel was represented or pictured by the sacrifices and by the ceremonies of the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints always had the gospel. It's a good thing for us too, beloved, that the gospel and the Bible are not synonymous. If they were the same, then anyone could take the gospel away from us simply by taking away our Bibles from us. And the ungodly, under the direction of the devil, might very well do that one day, take our Bibles away, that is. Near the end of time, under the reign of the Antichrist. But if it is true that the Bible and the gospel are one and the same thing, then we will have to say, near the end of time, when all of our Bibles are taken away from us, we don't have a Bible anymore, and therefore we have no gospel anymore. We have nothing left. Nothing left of Christ, no truth, no comfort, no savior, no salvation, no hope, and no peace. But that's not true. The Antichrist and ungodly men near the end of time may very well burn and destroy every Bible that we have. But still God's people will have the gospel. They will have the gospel until the end of time. Therefore, we can and we must say that from the beginning of history and in every age since the beginning of time, God's people have always, always had the gospel. Adam and Eve had the gospel. Noah had the gospel. Abraham had the gospel. The children of Israel had the gospel. Moses had the gospel. The Israelites had it when they were in the land of Egypt. The Israelites had it and the nation of Judah had it 
when they were in the land of captivity in Babylon. And the church and the people of God had the gospel even during the dark, dark Middle Ages that led up to the Reformation. Most of world history has been history without the existence of Bibles. But God's people have always had the gospel. And by God's grace, we will always have it too. We will have it until we die. We will have it until the end of time, even if a time comes when we no longer have our Bibles. That raises the question then, what exactly is the gospel? The word itself, as we well know, means the good news. Luke 8 verse 1 describes it this way, the glad tidings of the kingdom. Romans 10 verse 15 describes it this way, the glad tidings of good things. And even Lord's Day 6 that we consider together this morning indicates what those good tidings are, what the good news is. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God has provided us a perfect mediator, one who is God, and one who is man, and one who is righteous. The good news of the gospel is that God has provided us a perfect mediator, a mediator who is everything for us, a mediator who is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. The gospel is that God has provided us a mediator who is perfect because he is the one who accomplishes all of our salvation. He does all of it from start to finish. He receives help from no one, and he needs help from no one. He is himself fully, all of our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's the gospel. The gospel is, according to this Lord's Day, that everything that God revealed in the Old Testament through the sacrifices and ceremonies of the Old Testament and by the words of the patriarchs and the prophets in the Old Testament, everything of that has been fulfilled by his own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the gospel is the good news of Christ crucified for us, punished to cover all of our sins in the sight of God, punished in such a way that he made full satisfaction for our sins. The gospel is the good news that we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, even as Romans 10 describes the gospel in those exact words, calling it the gospel of peace. 
It's the good news of forgiveness, the good news of being adopted into the family of God. It's the good news of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the people of God. It's the good news of having life in our souls, life eternal in our souls, heavenly life. It's the good news of the grace and love and mercy of God. The good news of God's constant faithfulness and goodness And it is, according to the Catechism, the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel that emphasizes that the Gospel comes from God. It is divine in origin. In no sense of the word, is the gospel of human origin. The gospel was not something that man thought about. The gospel was not something that man invented. Nor has man done anything to contribute to the gospel. If there is anything of man in the gospel, then there is no longer any gospel, no longer any good news. It's the holy gospel. It's God's gospel, eternally planned by God, and by God, a gospel that has been made a reality for us. That's the good news that God gave already to Adam and Eve in paradise. And that's the good news that God has been declaring to his church and to his people ever since. And that, beloved, is the best possible news that you or I could ever receive. We might think sometimes that there is other good news that would be the best news to hear. Something else. Maybe the news of a new job, a better income, a date, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. the gift of a child, the removal of that which gave us stress, the restoration of health, the curing of a cancer, but no, There's nothing better for any of us today or any day than the gospel of God, the holy gospel. 
And that's clear when you consider, beloved, to whom God speaks this good news. God comes with this good news concerning Christ, concerning salvation, concerning eternal life. He comes with that good news to declare it to sinners. Those who are in the depths of the misery of sin, those who are struggling with the darkness of despair because of their sin, and those who have a real sense of the fact that they deserve the wrath of God, the fires of hell for their sin, and with no ability to appease the wrath of God, unable to deliver ourselves from it, and no hope of being rescued And the only thing able to do is to add to our misery and to them, to us, who are like that. God comes and says, I have good news for you. The good news that I have saved you through my son. He has endured your hell. He has conquered death and the grave. He has destroyed the power of the devil over you. He has cleared away all of your sins and you have eternal life now in him. Freely given. Glorious life. Heavenly life. Better beyond anything you could ever imagine. And by spirit work faith, the believer says, that's the best news I could ever hear. That's the news that I need to hear. And that's the news that I need to hear again and again and again. That's the gospel. And when we speak about the gospel, as this Lord's Day does, then we also need to mention the Bible. Although they are not the same, the Bible and the gospel, they are closely related to each other. And that's because the Bible is the written record of the gospel. The Bible is God's written record of the gospel. God saw to it that the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, his son, was written down. Written down so that it could be passed on written down in such a way that when we have the Bible, God is speaking to us the truths of the gospel on every page of Scripture, in every book of the Bible, in every chapter, and in every verse. All of it, the revelation to us of God, of the gospel of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible, a very 
valuable book. That's why it's a very troubling thing, and it should be to us as believers when the Bible is attacked. The Bible is attacked. The Bible is attacked by the ungodly, by unbelievers. They say the Bible is full of errors. They mock those who believe and hold to the Bible. They say the Bible is simply a book, no different from any other book. They tell us that we are foolish to believe and to follow what's in the Bible. And you can say, and you can understand, beloved, that it's understandable that the ungodly say those things. It's understandable because they are in unbelief. They cannot accept what the Bible really is, namely the inspired and infallible Word of God. They cannot accept that. They never will while ever they are in unbelief. Because they cannot accept what that the fact that the Bible is the Word of God, they cannot accept either what the Bible says about them. Namely, that they are by nature totally depraved, that they are incapable of doing any good, and that they are inclined to all wickedness, and that they cannot save themselves, and that they are damned by God to eternity in hell. They cannot accept that, because they are in unbelief. I say again, it's understandable that the ungodly reject the Bible. But the Bible is also rejected and attacked sometimes by those who call themselves Christians and even Bible-believing Christians. They're willing to say this about the Bible. The Bible contains the Word of God, but they are not willing to say the Bible is the Word of God. And there is a difference. Because they're willing to say simply that the Bible contains the Word of God, then they add to that and they say, therefore, you can put aside anything in the Bible that contradicts, for example, the findings of science. You can put aside what the Bible says about the origin of the earth. You can put aside what the Bible says about the age of the world and the universe in which we live. And you can put aside that the Bible says the world was created in six days of 24 hours because science tells us otherwise. And then they continue on to say that you can ignore many of the commands and many of the admonitions in Scripture. They don't apply anymore. They only applied 
to the people that were living at that time when those commands and admonitions were given. And so you can reject what the Scripture says about male headship. You can reject what the Scripture says about women in office. You can reject what the Scripture says in its condemnation of homosexuality. And you can reject what the Scripture says when it speaks about divorce and remarriage. They say it doesn't apply anymore. And they will say, too, you can do away with a host of other things that are written in the Scripture and that don't apply anymore because they are, quote, non-salvation matters, they say. And whether you believe them or not really doesn't matter. It's not going to affect the gospel. It's not going to affect the truth concerning salvation in Christ. That's the approach that many take toward the Bible. Over against that, we must defend the Word of God. Defend it because the Bible is God's Word. Not simply the Bible contains the Word of God, but the Bible is the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is breathed forth to us by God. Every word in the Scripture is the Word of God. And as believers, we want this Word of God. And we want to defend it because this is what God our Father has written and given to us. This is his love letter to his church and to his people. We defend it because God speaks it. And we defend it because of what it contains, the gospel. That is the theme of all of Scripture. Nothing in the Word of God is a non-salvation matter. Nothing in the Word of God is a fact or a truth that does not affect the gospel of our salvation in Christ. So that if we do lose any part of the Word of God, we lose a part of the truth concerning Jesus Christ. The Bible is valuable to the child of God. And the Bible is valuable to the church. It has the value that is expressed in Psalm 19. It's valuable to us for salvation. And it's valuable to us for salvation because, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This is the means God uses to turn us from our sinful ways, his word. 
valuable to us because the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This is the word that God uses as a means of grace to take those who are by nature simple, that is, to take those who are by nature foolish, and to make us wise. Wise in and through Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom. The Word of God is valuable to us because the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It is the word that God uses as a means of grace to take those who are miserable, who are sad, who are sorrowful, especially on account of the misery and the sorrow and the sadness of their sin, and to cause them to rejoice with the joy of their salvation in Jesus Christ. The word is valuable because the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. Is the means God uses to take those who are blind, spiritually blind, and causing them to see, to see their sins, and to see the things of the kingdom of heaven, and to see with the eye of faith Christ, who is everything for them. That's why the believer also confesses, as David did in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's a striking confession. What David is confessing and what we confess with him by God's grace is this, if we're given the choice between losing our Bibles or losing all of our possessions, then we will say, I'm going to keep my Bible. If we're given the choice this way, that we are offered all of the riches we could ever hope for and desire to have, but at the cost of losing our Bibles, the Scripture, the Word of God, then we will say, I have absolutely no interest in all of those riches. (coughs) While ever it's possible still to have the Bible in our hands, we will never give it up because this is the valuable record of the gospel. The treasure. That's how the believer views the Bible. But as regards the gospel, beloved, it is God's purpose to make that gospel which is contained in the scripture, known to his people. How does he do that? 
How does he reveal it? Not by simply giving us the Bible. If that were all that God did, that would not be enough. And what's clearly proof of that is that for centuries, and even millennia, many of God's people have not had a Bible. So how does God reveal it to us? How does God give it to us? The method that God has used from the beginning and the method that God still uses is preaching. That's what the Lord's Day refers to when the Lord's Day uses these words, the gospel that was revealed, the gospel that was published, the gospel that was represented. Those are references to preaching. <coughs> and the Lord's Day also mentions that God this, did this by the patriarchs and by the prophets and by the sacrifices and ceremonies of the Old Testament. God preached through those things. So God was always preaching. He preached the gospel to Adam and Eve in paradise. He preached the gospel to his saints throughout the Old Testament. He was always declaring the good news concerning Christ and him crucified to his people. And that's the method that God still uses today. The gospel comes to us through preaching. Someone is not saved by simply sing, sitting in a corner reading the Bible. One needs the preaching. As Romans 10:14 points out, how shall they hear without a preacher? As Romans 1:16 points out, it is the preaching of the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. As 1 Corinthians chapter 1 makes clear, we are saved by the foolishness of preaching. Yes, the Bible is a crucially important book. And the Bible is a very valuable book. But the Bible itself cannot save. The word of God that is contained in the scripture must be preached. The truth must be proclaimed. Christ is pleased to use the means of preaching, as you and I know from our own experience as believers the means of preaching to work faith in us and to save us. <clears throat> and the preaching has that power because when the gospel is faithfully preached, then Christ himself speaks. When the gospel is faithfully preached, then Christ himself says to us, I am your Messiah. I am your perfect mediator. I am he who is God and man and righteous. 
I am your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, and your redemption. Christ says that to his people through faithful preaching. (coughs) And Christ says to his people, repent. Repent of your sins and believe in me. Come unto me. O ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ says that to us through preaching. And Christ speaks those truths of the gospel as no one else is able, as no man is able. He speaks those words powerfully. He speaks those, <coughs> speaks those words to our hearts by his Spirit. And when he does, those who belong to him will hear him, because he says, my sheep hear my voice. He has the words of eternal life. And we're hearing, hearing his voice his powerful voice, we believe in him and we find comfort for our souls. God has given us a wonderful gospel and God has blessed us with it here and has preserved us in our confession of this gospel. Thanks be to God who for us and for our salvation has given and also preserves the gospel and the Bible and the preaching of that gospel. Thanks be to God who has given us faith. Faith to desire that gospel so that we come faithfully each Lord's Day to hear it and faith to believe it for the comfort of our souls. May God continue to keep us faithful and to comfort us always. Amen. Our God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for the gospel. We thank thee for Christ who is proclaimed to us and who himself proclaims the gospel to us. Bless and continue to bless us through the gospel in him. In his name, amen.